0: Well, I want to, as we begin week two, for those of you who weren't with us, I want to do a little bit of a recap, but I want to tell you too, uh, we received more response from last week than anything at least I've been here for in terms of just sheer amount of feedback and encouragement. And so what that tells me is God's doing something, and I just want to give thanks, and we pray more, and Pray we won't get in the way of that. Now, along the way with all of the, the feedback that came, all of the encouragement, all of your own heart stirring, I got some interesting things too. I was given a unique gift this last week. Um, someone brought into me, which I absolutely love. If you weren't here, I wore a referee jersey uh, and took it off partway through to remind us our job as the church, my job as your pastor is not to take sides because this series we're in, you asked for, it's about kind of this issue of politics and faith and we knew that we're going into difficult water. So someone said, you didn't have all that you need. Uh, they sent me, first of all, a hat. And then they gave me a whistle, uh, which I, I, I gotta tell you, I had no idea how great this is for just leading a staff, by the way. You'll see when I get to this last one. So they gave me a whistle. And then on top of it, they gave me six flags. Whoops, not to be confused with the place you go. But uh, they gave me these flags. So immediately after I got it, we happened to have staff chapel. I took them with me. And when staff were late, I threw a flag. <laughs> Delay of chapel, 15 yards. 20 Hail Marys, 20 push-ups, run the building. I didn't give them all that. But, uh, and all, all kidding aside, we have said as the church, our job is to both encourage and call fouls. That we're not here to play for one team or for another. We're really here uniquely for God to help us be the people of God. And so with that, um, I'm not gonna recap everything we did, and I wanna encourage you, if you weren't with us last week, just because we sense that God did something last week, not through any great communication or anything else, he's just moving. But we're saying, you know what? We think it would be good for you to go back if you weren't with us and see how we introduce this topic. So I want to just remind you a little bit, which is that when we started the foundation and all this division and all this struggle we're having inside the church, in the community, everywhere, that we recognize Jesus is praying for us to be one. And I just want to say it again, because he still is, that Jesus, the Son, after his resurrection, ascended and is with the Father, the Scripture teaches, at the right hand. And he's interceding for us every minute of every day, which means he's literally talking to the father on behalf of you and me and others. And one of his key prayers is that we'll be one. So we reminded ourselves and each other last week, listen, with all this division, with all of these sides being taken, let's be renewed in the fact that Jesus is praying for us to be one, which means there's something greater. And we want to continue to disentangle from the way we look at life and the way we particularly have taken issues and said, you're this or you're that. And that's what culture says. You have to be this or you have to be that. You have to be red or you have to be blue. There's no middle ground and there's, we're saying there's a higher ground. So that's where we started last week. And what we said, I want to tell you where we're going is there's three particular topics we're going to look at and they all relate to life. Think of it as the beginning, kind of the middle and the end And the first two are ones people tend to take sides over and say, you must be this or that. So the first one today we're going to look at is the topic of life in the womb. Next week, we're going to look at the life in the midst of racial disparity, which particularly you asked for. It's this battle we're having even in culture of whether there even is, how do we address it, what do we do? And we have sides that we take on both of these. And then in the final week, we wanted to look at the end of life because there are just a lot of issues that everyone faces and we either don't talk about or help each other through. We tend to isolate and deny. And I don't think it will be as controversial as the other two. So you may love me today, hate me next week. You may hate me this week, love me today. And I wanna remind you, all I wanna do is help us see scripturally and through the lens of Jesus. And so we said last week, kind of three ways we look at this. We look at the issue or issues. In other words, What's the topic and what is the kingdom of God like? What does God say about this? What does scripture teach about this topic? And the second one is how does God's kingdom move? And what we established very simply last week was God's kingdom does not move in the sense of demand and power, but through a different kind of power. And then finally, how do we treat each other? Because quite honestly, this has been the most hateful and difficult season I've ever seen in my years of living that people are towards each other. Now, sometimes it's West Michigan hateful, so you smile and then do it somewhere else. But it's still there. True? Amen. Yes, amen, brother. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'd like to throw flags on that. Wouldn't it be great just to walk around and go, hey, you're being hateful, flag. Uh, Unsportsmanlike conduct, unchristian conduct, 15 yards, go sit on the bench for a while. But we can't. So with this, we're going to begin to look at how does Scripture teach About life in the womb. And what I want to tell you as we go through this is I realize that you may have had your own experiences as it relates to unborn babies in your own livelihood. You may have even, you may have experienced abortion. You may have different views on the rights of women versus the rights of a child. I'm not trying to get into those things other than I want you to experience God's grace. I just first want to start with what does the scripture teach and how do we have a a wonderful biblical look at life. And so please don't hear this through a lens of he's red, he's blue, he's red, he's blue. I mean, look at me, I'm just pale, okay? So I'm not either, but I want us to just start there. So where we begin is with the beginning of Scripture. Now there are 613 commandments in the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament for those of us who are Christians. That means all of Israel's history from the beginning of time up through and into their exile to the point when Jesus comes, and then we call that the New Testament, the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you have all these other letters that are written to the early church, and Acts, which tells about the early church. So in the first commandments, in this first section of the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments. Isn't that amazing how many commandments there are? All alone, and there are wild and interesting ones, and we're going to come next week to Look at how Jesus summarizes those because it'll relate a little more. But I just want you to consider for a minute the first commandment. So I don't know that you'd know what it is. I'm not saying a test or anything, but the first commandment in all of Scripture is during the creation narrative, and as God makes male and female, as He makes this wonderful representation of who He is, He says, "To make them in our image." He says this first command: "Be fruitful and multiply." It's first command in all scripture. You're probably not even thinking about that. Now. You're just thinking, I don't want to be that fruitful. I don't want to multiply that much. Or maybe you have other issues surrounding you. But I want you to be clear. From the beginning, God looked at the very nature of bringing new life in and said it's transcendent and it's an aspect of how you and I live as people in humanity that the first command was to live this way. And it continues all through how the laws are for Israel and how they're to govern and live, that life is so incredibly precious and valuable. There are even laws surrounding how people treat what leads up to, including during, those experiences that create this. I know there's different ages of kids, so that's as far as I'm gonna go with that today. But where I wanna go from here is just pictures we have of how God sees life even before one is born. And I'm just going to give you two simple pictures from Scripture that I want this to be first God's enamoring in his design. So we're going to go to the Psalms, which is a very unique, wonderful book. Psalms are simply songs. They're really a a wonderful collection of Israel's songs to the Lord. They're full of laments. A third of them are laments. They're full of hope and crying out. They're full of joy joy. And really wonderful majesty of who God is. But they're very honest every way through. In fact, if you're one who goes, I wonder why people aren't more real, just read the Psalms. And you'll see it. So we're going to go to Psalm 139. And I want you to see how it's described, how a baby is described in the womb. For you, meaning God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I mean, this is already giving image that God is in the midst of this designing and creating. It's one of the prayers I always pray over people when I find out <clears throat> they're pregnant. I say, I'm just going to pray that God will knit and weave healthy life together in you. Now, he continues to give a second facet of this, just to continue to underscore. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now some who want to limit the applicability of this take this only to the psalmist as if this person had unique destiny but no one else does. But this really is a beautiful general picture of both God's design and engagement in what happens inside in the secret place. Now, I'm not starting this so we can have an argument on what to do about it. I want to start with it just with wonder. Have you ever had wonder as God's knitting and weaving together a child inside of a mother? Just the wonder of the intricacies, the wonder of each aspect of development. Even as we learn more and more about how babies are formed, it's wild and amazing to think of what God's doing through this time in the womb, isn't it? And so I want you to be more enamored with it than anything else. Let me take you to Jesus and really the coming of Jesus. And we're going to look at Jesus' cousin, John. And you'll see, again, this very profound nature. When Elizabeth heard Mary, this is Elizabeth who's older in age, and she's now having a baby, John, inside of her womb, which is supernaturally coming about because of her old age. She and her husband are going to. It tells us that when Mary, who's the one that's having Jesus, and Jesus is already in her, when Mary's ba- or Elizabeth's baby hears Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. By the way, he was also filled with the Spirit. Now that gives us image to how amazing and incredible God is moving before a child is born, doesn't it? And that's where I simply want to start because I know there are all sorts of arguments about when life begins and when life is sustainable and what it all means. And we're not here to try to debate or argue medical terminology or people's views of it. We're saying as followers of Jesus, we believe God designs life and all the way through he's knitting and weaving and all the way through he's building destiny and all the way through he's even breathing life as he does into John. We're enamored by it. That's where we want to be as we begin to address these issues that are more complicated. Now, here's my concern. This is how we tend to talk about it and particularly how we talk about it when we get into this, it's, everything's good or bad. We take a hammer to this issue. We bring the hammer and go, in fact, you're probably thinking, why didn't you use the big verse that we should use that will let people know this is never okay and it's horrible if we do it. And this is where we go. The commandment, you shall not murder. We go, listen, the taking of a life is murder. And so we understand and see this in the midst of what happens when children are in the womb and what we would particularly, as we tend to as Christians and particularly Christians in our area and our way of thinking, talk about this one issue. We bring the hammer and we somehow think that we're in the right because of this. And here's where I wanna just caution you and, and I'm not cautioning you saying, don't, don't believe that. What I'm cautioning you is our approach. So Jesus, when he's teaching, he's teaching these multitudes, he actually goes to this commandment. You've heard it said, you shouldn't murder. But I say to you, if you have anger towards your brother, there's judgment to you. He's equating anger towards people with murder. I want us to feel the pain of that because you realize we're all angry to each other in ungodly ways, true? Let me take it one step further. John, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, disciples, and he writes a letter to the early church, and one of the statements he makes is, when you have hate in your heart towards your brothers and sisters, you murder them. So let me say it this way. I'm not lightening on the fact that we should advocate for the unborn, I'm weighing heavier on how every one of us is killing each other. And we kill each other day after day, and moment after moment, and comment after comment, whisper after whisper, judgment after judgment. It suddenly hit me that when Jesus says, basically be careful how you judge each other because the measure you use will be measured to you, that we tend to think, hey, the way we're gonna address this issue of the unborn is we're gonna tell people when they do something like this, we're gonna scream baby killer. And if you've, this is how I've gotten politically, if you vote for that, you are voting for a baby killer. And so it's, this is how you have to vote, this way or that way. Again, I'm not here to address the politic, I'm here to pull us back from it. And where I want us to go is to a place of grace. So, so this is the interesting thing, when John says in his letter, hey, when you hate your brother and sister, you're murdering them. Right after that, he says, Jesus showed his love as he lays down his life for us. It's fascinating that it goes from that to this. In other words, here's the truth. Here's the great grace. If I were to say it this way, and, and all week as I'm praying about this and going, how do we frame this? How do we look at this? This is the phrase that came back to me over and over again. It's about grace and truth. It's about grace and truth. Now they're wonderful biblical words and they're wonderful churchy words. I want them to be practical for us though because where we should start is when we address an issue like this with the unborn. Before, And we, we tend to just get to protecting life from ending. There's much more to it than that. I'm just starting there because it tends to be the issue we deal with but we don't even realize the very accusations we make are right back at us, do we? And, and there is a heaviness when we don't because what we're saying to anybody who's either done this or considering it is we frame them in a much worse way than the rest of us. It's a truth without grace. So what does it look like for us to live in grace and truth? What's it look like that Jesus does this? Let me give you a simple picture of grace and truth from Jesus' eyes, from the way Jesus walked the earth. Jesus, at one point in time in John's account, ends up going through Samaria, which is unheard of. He should have gone around it from the Jewish perspective. Samaritans were, they were subpar with Jews. That's how they saw them. They're less than, which is its own problem. He goes into Samaria. He goes to a well. At a time of day, no one would be there. And it's a time of day no one would be there because they come at other hours. And a woman comes there, which her sheer showing up there is a sign of her Unloveliness, her brokenness, her mess, and how she's viewed by all those around her. So, the first thing I want you to see is Jesus actually goes to her in isolation and is with her. But the next part is powerful because Jesus actually cites what's going on in her life, which is that she's been with multiple men. She's with her fifth man, and it's not her husband currently. And he points out the truth of it. There's the truth. Do you know he never makes another accusation, comment, or anything about any of it? You know what he does? He offers her who he is, which is living water. What dominates his interaction with her is grace. In other words, he sees the truth through the lens of grace. He sees the truth through the lens of grace. That means he does that for us too. It also means we're called to do the same for others. You get that? Like, I want us to understand however we think we're to deal with this issue. And that's where we started last week. There's the issue, then there's how does the kingdom move? The kingdom does not move through condemnation and screaming at the world around us, telling them they must be this way and we must demand all of culture accommodates how we see things. The kingdom comes through grace, through relationship through walking and loving people, whether we agree or don't, through recognizing our own need. You realize if you and I recognize that we are all killers of each other and murderers of each other, we look at people differently, don't we? And we treat this differently. And if you think we've done this well, I'll just tell you very simply, we haven't. We know uh, very specifically that many women who've been involved or experienced an abortion, and men as well who have been feel unforgivable when they come to the church. Meaning somehow we communicate through all of our advocating and demanding that this is different than anything else. And we've done exactly the opposite of what grace is. We've said almost not enough for you. And the other part we've done is we haven't really entered into what's going on for them. So I want us to enter in a little bit today. I want us to just recognize very simply that Jesus sees the truth of our lives through the lens of grace. In fact, one of the reasons I think we don't love people the way we can is we don't understand his love for us. You know, the older I get and the more I talk and listen to people, and especially people who've been inside and are outside, but even people inside the church, we espouse that Jesus loves us and it forgives us, but we live as if He doesn't, and that we're still trying to make up for it. And when you and I really understand how He sees us and our failures and our sins and our mess with grace and love, as He said to this woman, "I am living water," we then look at people differently. You know, as I was preparing for this, I thought, I am sure there are people with us online, here, Muskegon and Coopersville, women and men who've experienced abortion. And that tends to be where we go with this topic and that may be carrying shame and have carried shame for years. That have somehow felt like they were less than others. And what I want us to do, let's enter with them how Jesus might look and see. Maybe Jesus would look back and see a young woman who had her future ahead and found out she was pregnant and lived in a home, a Christian home, where the family knew this wasn't acceptable but also didn't want to carry the shame of what might happen. And in her deep shame, she never told anybody, but went and ended the pregnancy and carried it for years because somehow she thought she was unlovable. Someone who felt cornered and in a situation that there was their fourth or fifth and didn't know what to do. And I am not espousing or defending, I am simply entering into that Jesus sees, just as he saw the Samaritan woman with all the broken relationships, he sees into the heart of people and what they've been wrestling with and what led them to where they are and he's broken with us in it and with them in it. I just wonder who in the midst of us needs some comfort and encouragement to know we have all taken the lives of others in different ways, day after day and moment after moment. And our hearts ache, but we want you to have living water and freedom from that. And the same way, by the way, we need that. I'm betting some of us here today are carrying other kinds of shame around. That you go, you know what, it wasn't this, it was something else that I don't ever want anyone to know. And I don't even, I, I live every day with regret of how I handled this or that. And then Jesus comes and goes, Listen, I see through the lens of grace. I see the brokenness. I see the sin. I see the mess. I'm living water. That's what he told the Samaritan woman. I died, as John tells us, sacrificed for us to pay for, but also to give life to you. He tells her it's a drink that will never make you, you won't be thirsty again. It's a different kind of drink. I'm the answer to the mess you hide and feel in. I go, I don't want us to miss. That is really important. And I want to tell us even further, this is what we need to see from this beyond our own need is we need to start seeing people differently through the eyes of Jesus. Through the very lens and way that Jesus, people, Jesus sees people. See, because he sees through grace, that's how he looks at the truth of what's going on. You and I, in this area, we can particularly see through the lens of we must have it this way and we must fight for and we must be against. And we've missed out on the lens of Jesus. Jesus. We missed out on the grace we can give. And what happens is no one wants to tell us when they're in pain because they think instead that we're just here to shove something down their throat and tell them how bad they are if they don't. Instead of loving them through whatever they're either considering. Because basically, you know we walk with people even when we don't agree. You do understand that, don't you? That seeing through the lens of Jesus isn't, well, this is what you're supposed to do and if you don't, I'm walking away. It's, I'm walking with you. Whether I agree or not, I walk in relationship with you and love you. That's how we walk as followers of Jesus. Jesus was criticized all the time for being with people that did the wrong thing. He said, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. And he was not applauding the religious, he was actually chastising them. You want a simple look, go through the gospels and see who Jesus is hard on and who he's gracious to. He's always gracious to the ones that are a mess that everybody else is hard on. And he's hard on the people who somehow have taken their seemingly holy way of living and thought they were better than others. Literally, they're forcing themselves to be judged by the measure they use. God is calling us to live differently. Now, I I think, I hope it's a simple invitation for us to begin to experience grace and to give grace. But I want to give us a practical application in this. And I want to be clear as a church We will, and you'll see it through what I'm going to tell you in terms of what we're initiating right now, we want to be helpful and walk with people through difficulty, and pregnancy in particular. But I want you to know as well that while we tend to only focus on this kind of idea of someone terminating a pregnancy, of someone killing, of someone ending a life, we don't focus on the other ways that that life is threatened. For example, for people of color, they're more apt to lose a child through lack of prenatal care than through abortion. So guess what, if we're the church, we care to help people through life. We're not just trying to stop it from ending, we're trying to bring it. So I just don't wanna miss, while we're gonna talk about this, it's not the whole picture. You understand? We care about life all the way through. So with that, I wanna invite Amy Jo Ploon to come up and join me. Uh, Amy Jo works for Positive Options, And uh, and they're starting a new group. We're starting it here. Do you want to grab that mic over there, Amy Jo? Uh, It's called Making Life Disciples. And there will be sign-up sheets actually in the lobby at Spring Lake and in Cooper'sville and Muskegon at the connection point. And I just want to have her explain a little bit of what this is. Here, get the for you. Yeah, I know I should put my glasses on just to see. But (laughs) so uh, I know this is a seven-week group that people can sign up for. Tell us a little of what this is, what it means why you do it
1: yeah well you've set it up perfectly because it is designed for the church um and in place to be a real practical and comprehensive look at the issue of unplanned pregnancy and abortion abortion aftercare, life affirming um resources and you know if i was going to talk through the you had asked me a little bit earlier yeah yeah go ahead I'm going to just go through it that way? You bet. Yeah. So for anybody, men, women, old, young, married, single, post-abortive, not everyone is welcome. Really anyone who wants to kind of sit and build a community around um, getting just really good information about how to engage. And um, Pastor Pete pointed out the equip a team of first responders in your church earlier. And he said, what is that? And, and I was thinking about that just now as I was sitting in my own personal bubble of how I've have hated people this week, so thanks for that. Um, (laughs) um, So I'm trying to sort my thoughts and listen deeply. Um, But what I thought was we're really all first responders because we really are bumping shoulders with people who are sitting in vulnerable positions or have made choices in their life that they may regret and they've kind of time capsuled and shoved down and um, have not really experienced the church as a welcoming place. And I can just tell you real quickly that We have probably the the vast majority of men and women who come into the pregnancy center who who are affiliated with a church. But it is not the first place, but rather the last place that they would go to really talk through that unplanned pregnancy and their their choices. And so I think that Making Life Disciples is, above all else, um, preparing and equipping the church with a team that understands the issue and understands all the choices that they may make and knows how to confidently talk about them. But it's also to build from the inside out, one in four women who choose abortion are attending church at the time that they make that decision. Um, So it's also to build up in the church this truth meets grace um, narrative in the church and to change the hammer to this grace and truth narrative so that there's invitation in the church, that they really are welcomed and it becomes a first place because somehow those clinics are looking safer than the church to come and to to talk through this thing that is really quite terrifying. It's really scary. And uh, so it's to build conversations, confidence, confidence, those people who want to just be better at discipleship and mentoring in their own families and the people that you're bumping shoulders with um, and be able to better talk about the hard stuff.
0: Great, thank you so much. And we wanted you to know, yeah, let's cheer that on. This is how the church responds to this issue. We engage with walking with people. And we love what Positive Options does in our community. We have those in all three of the areas we are. And simply say, if that's something that's stirring in you, this is a way to move into that. So I want to thank you just okay. for being with us.
1: Thanks. Comments come. on Thursday nights. And um, it's really a lot of fun. It's very interactive. And we sort of look at that issue spiritually and physically and socially and emotionally. And we cover all of it with a lot of good information. Great. So.
0: Thank you so much. I mean, as I said before, our our simple application is you and I continue to grow in how we understand our own grace. And we begin to ask the Lord to help us love the people around us. We want to create a culture that people live honestly. I want to tell you one more piece is we're in week two of our 21 days of prayer. So day eight is tomorrow. And this week, we will be emphasizing, even in your quiet and what you're doing, you're praying. What a great thing to begin to pray for people who are going through right now unplanned pregnancy. Pray for us as a church and how we bring grace. And Pray for the families because often that is its own heartache and pain. Pray for the men and women. But what if we intercede for this in the coming week as well? I want us to pray now together uh, just that God will meet us. And I want to say again, if you have gone through something, this is either triggering related to this area or another, I'm going to pray that God would meet you with his grace today. So let's pray. Lord, I ask uh, that we will be your church and we will love people as we say together because life is messy, we actually will live this out. So God, I pray for any among us today who are living through an experience of abortion, who are living through the pain related to having children, all sorts of those that follow. Lord, for other areas of shame and pain, would you meet them and show through the lens of grace the living water you are. And then for us, God, as we live in our own conviction of the pains and the ways we really go after each other with such hate and vitriol and the way our culture has become this, on this area particularly, help us to be forgiven and walk differently and to know how to walk with you in it. I ask all of this now, Lord, in the name and power of Jesus, amen.